Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, again for this beautiful night. Lord, I thank you for each and every single woman that is here, Lord, that you brought. Father, you you know them intimately because you created them. And I just thank you, Lord, that um, you brought them here tonight to gather, to grow in your word and to grow one another closer, Father, that um, we don't have to go through this life alone. We have you and we have one another. And Lord, I just pray as we open your word, Father, that you would um, you would just use me as a vessel for you, Lord. I, I pray that you would speak through me. You know that I am imperfect, but you are holy and you dwell in me, Lord, as you indwell in everyone that knows you. And so I pray that you would just use me tonight to speak your truths. And I pray that I would not, um, anything that is not of you, it would fall on deaf ear, Father, but only your word that is truth would proclaim tonight and that you would be glorified through this. I pray that you would prepare each of our hearts, Lord, for the teaching. Um, and just thank you, Lord, that you give us, you do give us an instruction manual here, um, things to look to, to try to understand what we're going through in, in our lives and then to comfort others when they're going through it as well. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, a little background on Corinthians. The church um, is was in ancient Greece. Um, not the church, I'm sorry. The, the city of Corinth was in, um, was in Greece. And it was a very huge, big, important trade city. Um, the, inside the city, Paul established a church there. And so he's writing to the Corinthians that are in this church, um, that are of the church of Corinth. And so a little bit about the city. The city was where people flocked to, um, to gamble, to go in, in, uh, the prostitution was legalized in the temple there. Um, they would go there for that. They'd go for business and amusement. Uh, and there was, it was a pagan place filled with, um, adultery, not adultery, idolatry, sorry. But I'm sure there was adultery too, if that's going on. So, um, anyways, this church is inside of a a city that's filled with uh, very worldly stuff, very worldly mindset. And we can understand that because we are in the world, and the the word says don't be conformed to the world, right? Don't be of the world. Um, And so this book that's written, this letter to the Corinthians by Paul, he's writing to them, he's addressing them because they're struggling with the, with certain issues. And some of it is um, counsel, but some of it is kind of a disciplinary act because they're struggling with things. Um, some of the things that they that he talks about in the letter um, is immorality, and there was divisions among them. There's lawsuits. Um, and he's trying to counsel them on marriage. He's trying to counsel them on spiritual liberty. Um and public worship, what it looks like, and, and um, the point of the resurrection. He's trying to bring them back to really an illustration and understanding of who you are as Christ. You're supposed to set yourself apart. You might be in the world, but don't be of the world. And so we can relate to this as well. Um, and so that's just a little background on Corinth. Um, the, the people were trying to uh, live godly lives, but they're, they're in the world. And so even though we're kind of like secluded up here in Running Springs, we have this cute little community, we know that there's worldly stuff. Not everybody up here knows the Lord. Not everybody up here is following the Lord. Um, and sometimes I get that my Christian bubble is popped sometimes because I get so used to being with my Christian worldly, Christian 
world of friends that I, I uh, get shocked when people are doing stuff because I think, why don't they know better? But if they don't know the Lord, they're not following him and they're going to do things of the world. So we can relate. We can understand. So let's look at this tonight. So uh, chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So Paul's telling them that, that don't be... Don't be unaware. Think about that, that these people of old, these people, the fathers, they went through all this. They saw the hand of God. In um, If we look back through Exodus, starting in 13, we see where God brought them to, to go back to the context of this. He's talking about when God brought them out of Egypt. So you guys, probably most of you know the story. If you don't, it's awesome. Read in Exodus, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. But when... Um, Pharaoh was um, ruling over the Israelites. He, they, they became slaves, and they weren't supposed to be. They weren't supposed to be slaves, but uh, Pharaoh was evil in this, and he was controlling them, and, and they were in bondage. And so we look at God redeeming and trying to pull them out, and they were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They were, they were not easily movable, but God was pulling them out of this land that was bondage over them. And we can kind of look at it as our relationship before we know Christ. We're stuck in this, like, "Ah, I'm complaining. I don't want it. But then once we come to Christ, we have this journey and it doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always look good, but we have Jesus and it's our exodus from our old life to our new life. So that's just something that I I was kind of seeing a parallel of um, looking back at our old life before Christ and then the life with Christ. So anyways, as, as the Lord was taking them out of Exodus, uh, in verse, or chapter 13, if you want to go back and forth, you can. I'm going to go back and forth between Exodus and, uh, even Numbers, um, to kind of give context of this, because Paul really wants them to understand that even though they're, they're having struggles and stuff, that they weren't, they have an example to look to. Don't repeat these same mistakes. These people, your fathers, saw the mighty hand of God when God did all these mighty works. And yet they fell, yet they fall back to idolatry, yet they quit worshiping, yet they complained. So don't be like that. Change. Don't follow the Lord. Um, so Exodus thirteen twenty one, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. So this is before they even cross the Red Sea. This is when they're in the wilderness. God is giving them provision. I just think that's a beautiful picture. I, to, to picture a pillar of, of cloud that's leading them by day. I've never seen that. Usually when I drive, clouds stay the same. They're not moving before me to, to lead me. But the Lord was doing this. He was giving them, he was providing for them, as he always does. But he was showing them, I'm with you. I love you. I'm leading you out of this place. And he wanted them to, their hearts to be softened, to see that he was with them, that his mighty hand. And so verse 22, he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So he was faithful. He followed through. He did this to provide for them that they would see. We have street lights. <laughs> we have lights in our car. We need those lights to see. Well, Jesus is our light when we can't see. So that, that shows us 
than he was when he was in the, under the cloud, or the fathers were under the cloud and passed through the cloud and the sea. The sea is when he's talking about the Red Crossing, or the Red Sea Crossing in Exodus 14, 21 through 22. Uh, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry, made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall on, onto them on their right hand and on their left. So I just have always loved this story. I could just imagine this beautiful parting of the sea, like the Lord did this. We can't do this. I can't. No. None of us could do that. Only the Lord could do that. But he made a way. And so here he's making this way for them because he's trying to show them that they he can tr- they can trust him, that he's faithful, he's a good God, he loves them, he's going to provide for them. Um, if you go down to 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. So he showed them, like, I provided for you, you all got out safe, look back, they're not safe. They rejected me, the Egyptians didn't want the Lord. And Israel, verse 31, Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So because they saw this, now they have, it did something internal to them. They were like, wow, you know, they're odd. They're in, oh my gosh, you know, this this God did this for us. And he, those people that, that did not fear him, did not reject him, weren't his chosen people they rejected God. They, they, if you, you know, back through, um, through Exodus, the story before God took him out. But if you see the plagues and all that, because they were rejecting God, but here God was setting them apart. God was showing them. They saw his mighty hand and that God had grace on them. That's grace because they didn't earn it. There was nothing like amazing about them that they earned or that they desi- um, deserved it as us too. We don't deserve his grace. Um, but again, God showed that. And so here it was under the cloud that the fathers passed and through the sea. These are stories that these fathers, these men, these families, husband, father, um, wife, and children all got to see. They all got to see it. Their eyes were not closed to this. They got to see it and experience. And yet they turned from him. And so he, again, is just, he wants us to see that these are examples. Um, But God was doing something. He was making a covenant with his people through this. And so it says, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Then all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In the Old Testament, Jesus was there. Can't argue with that. Some people say, no, 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 that's new. No, he's always been. He always was, always will be, always uh, yesterday, today, and forever. So when he's talking about the spiritual food... um, and spiritual drink. The spiritual food was in Exodus 16.4. God provided manna, uh, which was a physical need, food, but he was also testing them because he wanted to see. He wants to test their hearts. The same with us. So we can relate to that. Maybe you're going through a test right now and you're like, okay, I didn't. what do I need to learn through this? Draw near to the Lord. Listen. Pay attention. What is he trying to show you? Because he was trying to show them something. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God just wanted a relationship with them. 
He wanted them to see how mighty he was and how awesome. I just, <laughs> I think over and over, I wish I could see this. I mean, not, I would probably be stupid too and I would fall back into things, but I just think like, wow, like, you know, manna. They had to eat it for 40 years. That was a bummer. But God was testing and leading them and showing them. But amazing. I mean, to go out every day and be like, it's here again. Wow. God's providing. He's taking care of them. And, and he just loved them. So, um, but that's the same for us. So don't learn from these examples and don't repeat it. Um, so, and then we get to the, the water. You guys remember the story of the spiritual water, the rock? <laughs> it's a crazy, um, Exodus 17, 2, two through, through 6 is the story. Um, I'm just going to read 2 and 3. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? I can just hear the, mem- the murmuring and the complaining and the whining. And I was so convicted as I was doing this because I too can complain and whine about, you know, I, I want it now. I want whatever it is, you know, now. And I want to be whole and healthy and whatever, but, but they were contending with the Lord. They were complaining against the Lord, even though they had seen all these mighty things. They saw him, um, take care of Pharaoh, their enemy, their, their physical enemy was Pharaoh. And they saw God deal with him and deal with those people, all those people, bring him through the sea, provide man in the wilderness. And now they're complaining, but we're thirsty. What are we going to drink? Like there's no Seven Eleven. No, they didn't say that. But there's no, they're complaining of, of no water. They're like, God's going to take them there and just say, oh, I'm done. I forgot about this part. No. So spiritual lesson for us too. Don't, don't think God's done. He's not done. So, uh, verse three, why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? <laughs> I just couldn't help but laugh when I was just reading through this again of just the, um, the drama is what I saw. Just drama of, the complaints, um, instead of seeing like God just did this mighty, mighty hand and mighty work through them. Um, and yet they're, they're thinking God's just going to make them go thirsty. Uh, verse five, um, Exodus 17, five and six, God, he has now Moses strike the rock to supply them water. So the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel also take in your hand your rod with you, which struck the river. So the same, the same rod that God had used as a symbol to explain to the, or show them that God was right there in the river or the, the sea with them to, um, to part the sea. Use that same rod. Behold, I will stand before you and there in the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. I really feel for Moses because he, he was just trying to lead and trying to help with all this. And he just constantly was getting the complaints and the contentious. And I thought of that verse is better is little in a corner than, um, than, well, I, now I'm misquoting the scripture, but you know, the, the idea is better is little with uh, peace than, than much with a contentious woman or man or whoever it may be. It's better to have just, just peace and quiet. So poor Moses has to deal with them. Um, and so I was, this question came to mind is, do I complain while I'm waiting for God to do something? Am I 
patient in the waiting or do I complain in the waiting? Because people are watching. And, and so not just for you, but what are you ministering to your heart when you're waiting? Are you complaining and like, ah, oh, God forgot about me. Where is he? He's too busy. He's helping everybody else. Or am I patient going, okay, God has this. He's got this. He got me through all these other things in my life. He's going to get me through this as well. So I had much conviction this, <laughs> this chapter. Um, okay, so verse 5. All right. But with most of them, I'm, I'm sorry, back in 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So there obviously were those that that pleased the Lord. They were following the Lord. They weren't complaining. They weren't contentious. They weren't murmuring and and whining. But for most of them, it's sad because their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So um, there is a story that this kind of goes along with. If you have reference Bibles, you might have this in there, but it talks about in Numbers 14 and 14 and 16, where God has sent the spies out to search out the land. And um, the spies return, but they give a false report and say, it's there's no way we can defeat these people. God's with them. God led them. But they're complaining and say, there's no way that this is going to happen. And by that false report, then all these people start panicking and have fear, and they're doubting the Lord. And I, I thought about that with... Um, even in the garden, when Eve was listening to the serpent, she knew God, it was so clear. God had specific directions for them. But she listened to the serpent enough to go, oh, maybe, maybe he's, maybe he's right. Maybe I didn't really hear that thing. And, and we can do the same thing as we can start getting a little bit like questioning the Lord with that. And that's what, um, those people that gave that false report caused people to be confused and caused confusion and doubt. So let us not do that. Let, let us not um, cause that. Those false reports don't falsely represent the Lord, but trust him. So in Numbers uh, 14, 29, it says, The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years and above. So even though God, he's long-suffering, but he's going to deal righteously if we don't turn back to him, if we don't make it right, if we don't repent, if we don't deal or we falsely represent him, he's going to deal with that. And that's what he did there. Um, so that verse, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, um, kept coming to mind through that is even because here they're complaining and they're afraid, even though God had done all this. But but when they're in um, this land and they get this false report, now they're they're questioning if they can trust the Lord. But Proverbs three five and six tells us to trust in the Lord, right? And lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct our paths. So when someone tries to tell you bad news or a false witness or whatever, you have to hold it compared to the Word. Okay, well I'm going to trust the Lord with this because yeah, that's bad news, but that might not even be true. How often have we quickly thought, you know, oh my gosh, the world's coming to an end. And then we find out it's false news. So it's happening a lot in this world. Um, so keeping our eyes on the Lord and that'll keep us from being scattered in the wilderness, keep us close to the Lord. So verse six, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So these, these people, these examples to us, they started lusting over the food that they had in um, in Egypt. 
And it's so funny because I, I think, gosh, like that, like we need food, right? We have to have food to survive. But I think overindulgence or we're um, too focused on that. Maybe even after service. I, I just heard somebody say this recently on Sunday is people sometimes are so focused on their belly grumbling during service and what they're going to eat about ser- after service than their message. And that is is right here. Even though you think, oh, well, it's a need. It's a physical need I have. And God talks about it shouldn't not to, to lust after these evil things because this was talking about um, when the people were grumbling and they were lusting after the foods that were once ate in Egypt. They're, com- they're whining. They're wondering why they can't eat these things. Where they even started weeping um, <laughs> because they wanted those foods that they used to have. And so contentment, uh, in 1 Timothy 6, 6, con- um, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so no matter what we're eating, if it's manna for 40 years or whatnot, we, we have to have contentment. We need to find that contentment and not lust after those things. So he, he's saying there that the things, um, these things became our examples. So these, these fathers, these people that experienced all this, this is our example, these are our examples to look to and not to lust after those evil things as they had lusted. And seven, do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So where, where's, the focus. Um, looking back at our reference with this, Paul was referencing too to the the uh, idolaters, those that were partaking of things that weren't God's desire for them. They were um, in Exodus thirty-two. You can flip over there. Sometimes we we look at other people's lives and we start coveting or we look and we think they have things better and, and we start kind of idolizing what they have or their life or um, things. Idolatry is different than it was in the Bible in the Old Testament, right? People were actually making graven images and they were bowing down to those things. But nowadays, idolatry looks a little bit different for us. We have iPhones. We have I everything, which is me, 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 I, I, I. And, and we start to focus on everything that we, um, even animals, animals can become, uh, an idol to us or our spouses or, or loved ones or, or whatnot. But in 32, if you guys remember, um, Moses went up on the Mount and while he was gone, the people got impatient and they wanted something to worship. And I think about that with us, like, how can that individually, how can you relate that to you? Like, what do you put before the Lord because you're impatient while you're waiting for him to move or do something? So we start expecting something else. I want to worship something else. I'm bored. <laughs> I need something to worship. Um, and so the people brought all their stuff to Aaron, and um, they put all that stuff in the fire, and they, the golden calf is what they end up worshiping, and and then they start praising the, the thing and saying, he's, that's what brought us out. They start worshiping that. It's, what are we doing? What are, how are we maybe putting others or something in front of the Lord? And so that's how we can relate that to, to our times nowadays. Because, yeah, we may not have a, a Buddha. We're not Buddhists. I know um, that's what Buddhists do is they worship Buddha. And they have these little graven images. But in our life, what could possibly, what might you be? 
having as, a, as an idol. Maybe it's even something negative that you wouldn't think, like maybe um, your, your health or um, your, your sickness or something to where that's taking your thoughts all the time. And I know over my life, there's been different things that I've taken my thoughts away, my focus away from the Lord. And you think it, it could be a good thing, it could be ministry. It could be, yeah, it's a good thing, but am I putting that before the Lord? So in that, um, in Exodus 32, that's what they, they were idolizing, the golden calf. But if you see your friend or family member walking away from the Lord and now they're worshiping something else, stand in the gap there. Because I, I was thinking about with, with Aaron and all them, Aaron could have stood in the gap and said, I'm not doing that. But he went with it because he wanted to appease the people. Don't appease the people. Don't appease the people in your family. If your loved one, if your child um, chooses to walk away from the Lord, don't choose your child over the Lord. Not that you don't love them. You do love them and you pray for them. But you don't choose them over the Lord. The Lord is good and the Lord is faithful. And when we put God first, all those other relationships are going to come into the right perspective. Sorry, a little side note for myself there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just kept pondering over idolatry and nowadays, you know, it's easy for us to, to um, see how the world does it. Being at Disney two days in a row, I went, wow, I saw a lot of idolatry there. But it also it, um, can be for me as well. Just, you know, walking with the Lord, you can still fall into idolatry. Hence, the, the title of this message, which I never even gave, was Take Heed Lest You Fall. I'm notorious for doing that at the end. Oh, the, by the way, the title was um, Take Heed Lest You Fall. Because so often we think, oh, you know, I'm, I would never do that. No way. Like, they're worshiping, you know, whatever at Disneyland. They're worshiping things or whatever. I wouldn't do that. But no, I could put things before the Lord. Whether a re- relationship or a, a you know... Um, a brand new car or something um, can become the, the object of my attention. Uh, verse 8, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. So his story where he's talking about there, um, it's, it's really, obviously, if you guys just went through the chronological Bible, you would have went through numbers. So this story is probably pretty close in your mind. Um, but... Um, the people were committing harlotry with pagans that were uh, worshiping other gods. And so they were going with the Moabitess women and the, the Midianite women. And God wanted us to be separate. He wanted us to separate them, not because he didn't love them. I, I know that, you know, as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. He loves everybody. He does. He, he has that love for them. But they're not his children unless they choose to receive him. And so those... Those Midianite women, those Moabitess women, they were worshiping Baal. And so when the, the um, Israelite people who are supposed to be set apart and, and, and sanctified that way, set apart to the Lord, when they start having um, relationships, sexual relationships, especially with these people, what's going to happen? Our body is a temple of the Lord. If we have Jesus, we're, uh, this, is our, this is his temple. He indwells in us. Be careful what you're partaking in. And we know that sexual, um, that sex is only supposed to be a married couple, a man and woman. That's it. There is no other option. There's no other gender. There's, you know, two. 
And so that's God's desire. But when, when people started having, doing this with pagans, it became in, um, came in the camp in a sense, sin in the camp. And many died. Many died. As he says, 23,000 fell. And what gets me in this is it was, what, um, the household was the leaders. The leaders were partaking in this. That, that's disgusting. I mean, not anybody, but especially leaders, you know, you know better. You have no cause to say, I didn't know. You know what's right and wrong. And so um, don't see that God doesn't see those things. And so maybe, you know, to try to relate it to nowadays is, um, you know, be careful that you, you're an ambassador of the Lord wherever you go. So if you're partaking with friends that are doing stuff or your boyfriend or, or whatnot, and you're in sin, even if they're not pagans, even maybe they're two Christians, but you're, you're, um, doing, you're fornicating, then you're not, you're not doing God's will. You're not in his will by doing that. And I just saw this, um, quote the other day that God never sends you someone else's, um, husband. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that on uh, Facebook, but it, it's pretty like, yeah, it's true. Some, but you heard people say, oh no, God sent him to me. Well, he's married. I know, but it's, you know, you don't know the circumstances. No, like God is very, he's black and white. There is no gray area when it comes to that. And so, um, in that though, specific, what he is talking about is out of Numbers 25. So really, really good story. Um, if you haven't read it, I challenge you to go read it just like the, the Exodus, um, to get more insight in that. So number nine, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. So he's talking again um, where they were complaining and complaining and complaining and the Lord sent literal serpents and they were being destroyed by the serpents. But what I loved in that is when they repented and they saw what they were doing wrong, God saved them. And that's the same for us. So maybe you're in sin. Maybe you're doing something right now. Repent and be saved. So don't, don't feel like there's no, oh gosh, I'm done for, I fell, I fell into sin, I did something, no, repent and you shall be saved. So, but don't tempt the Lord, don't, you know, how close can I get to sin without sinning? Let me test the Lord, let me test those waters. As he says in Deuteronomy 6, 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Instead, I, this is just me, instead, trust him, instead of tempting him, trust him with this. And don't complain as they were complaining. God hates complaining. I didn't realize how much he complains. He hates it. And so I was reading this chapter of just over and over. This is a repeated assault that these people did to the Lord is complained against him. And we are, we can be very quick to complain about our circumstances. And it's hard. Life is hard. We all know that. If we've lived longer than two days, we know life is hard. But God is sovereign. So if we're complaining, we're not trusting him. So they, they, I was looking at the definition of complain, and there was a lot of synonyms, tons of synonyms. And then the antonyms were only, there was only three. This was in Webster's. There's probably more in other dictionaries. But um, it was rejoice, and I forgot to write them down, but there was some really good um, the joy, rejoice, and um, delight. And so I know for me, when I am around someone that is delighting in the Lord or has joy and they're just joyful, you can't be grumpy. 
you can't. I mean, you can try, but then you got to leave because it ain't working. And so be that joyful person that's not complaining. Because I know it does something to our hearts when we're whining and complaining. It, it turns us bitter, and then we start doubting the Lord, and then it's just this downfall. And we think we're lacking something when we have everything we need. So often, I, you know, we can all do that, but I can get to where I think I need something else. I'm, I'm feeling empty, but it's Jesus that I need. It's not anything else. So, um, And then James, James chapter 1, if you want to flip there. Um, tells us what to do when circumstances are hard. So these people were complaining, murmuring, whining because they, you know, they don't like the manna and they're having to eat it forever. I can't say that I would have whined too because I'm not a picky person, but I do like variety. <laughs> but God was trying to teach them something. So um, James 1, verses 2 through 8. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So looking at, if you have joy, you're going to, there's contentment that comes with that. But if you're being impatient, you're probably not going to have joy and impatient. It's probably not going to coincide, right? I'm like, need to get this, I need to do this, I need, I need, I need, I need. You're not going to be filled with joy. But... Um, knowing we can have joy just knowing that God's doing a work. It doesn't mean you're delighted, you're smiling, you're so excited about, you know, cancer, whatever it is that you're struggling with. But, um, but just knowing that God's sovereign and he's doing a work through it. He hasn't left you hanging. So the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I want to be there. Can't wait to be complete because I feel totally imperfect most of the time. If any of you lack, lacks wisdom, so what do you do? It, it goes right into that. If you're lacking wisdom, you're not sure how to deal with a situation. You're not sure, should I complain to the Lord? Should I, how do I deal with this situation, Lord, to help me to have joy even? But if you're lacked, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Again, God's good. He's faithful. He wants you to ask. He wants you to have a relationship. If you guys have children in here, you know you can't wait for your your kids to converse with you. You love it, usually, unless it's nonstop. But you want those kids, your children, to converse with you. You want to hear their voice. You want them to ask you. I know I love when my older kids ask me for advice. I'm like, yes, I can't wait to tell them because, you know, it's just great to have this conversation with them and, and feel like, okay, there's a reason I had to go through all this. Now let me help you. But that's the Lord. He loves us so much that he says, if you lack wisdom, ask me. Just ask me, and I will give it to you. Um, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So, again, if you're doubting, God knows there's, you know, Thomas was a doubter. Remember, um, Thomas was like, I, I won't believe unless I can put my, my finger in there. And, but God didn't go, you're done, you're out. He knows. But he's telling us to not doubt. Don't ask. When you ask, ask in faith because you want the answer. So ask in faith. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. So be serious when you ask. Trust the Lord when you ask for wisdom. And when you ask and he gives you the answer, follow, obey. Okay. Just lost. 
right place. So that was nine and ten. Um, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So I just covered both of those. Um, Eleven. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our ad, admon, admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So these things are written as examples for us, but it's so we can learn something from it. It's not just some great book that we read and we put away and we forget what we just learned. We need to chew on it and think about, like he says, to meditate on his word. Take every thought captive unto the obedience of the Lord. Like take those things and, and ponder them. Take, hold everything to his truth, to his light, uh, with the word so you can have understanding. So. Verse 12, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So sometimes we think, okay, I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years or whatever. You know, I'm, I, you start feeling complacent. You start not, you know, um, investing in a relationship so much. The enemy's right there. He's crafty. He knows your weaknesses. He knows uh, how to kind of put those things out there and those feelers. You can fall. I've had uh, two very good close friends that I, I love. And they were, one was a, a very, um, very much a pillar in my relationship with the Lord. And I remember her even giving me her very, my first full Bible. Because when I got saved, I got a new believer's Bible, which only had the New Testament. But she gave me the full word. And, and one day she'd moved away. And one day I saw her in a store and uh, she'd asked me how I'd been doing. I was battling with a lot of health issues. And so I was just kind of updating her where I was at. And this other woman was standing there. <laughs> we were in the produce section. And she says, can I pray for you? This doesn't even know me. And I said, sure. You know, I'm thinking inside, like, kind of shocked. It's so fast. She doesn't even know what I think. She doesn't know what I'm talking about. And, of course, only if it's in Jesus' name, because I don't want, don't pray through something else, because it's not real. But... I said, sure, you know, and she comes over to pray with me and my friend, this, this woman that loved the Lord so strongly, the Lord stepped back. She said, I don't do that anymore. It still breaks my heart because she loved the Lord so much and to see her step away from the Lord and, and not even, I mean, it just broke my, it still breaks my heart. This was like six years ago, seven years ago. I don't know where she's at with the Lord. And, and another friend, her husband was, uh, my husband just talked about them on Sunday. He used the example. And I said, that's my example. Why are you sharing that? <laughs> but they were a beautiful couple. And he actually um, is who got me to even come to church. Um, so I was wondering, I was looking for, for the Lord. And I was I had all these questions. And he said, he was our landlord. And he said, come, uh, come. I go to this church. I'm the youth pastor there. And I'm like, oh, okay cool. Like the Lord knew, you know, that I had this burning desire. I wanted to know the Lord. And I went and became uh, friends with him and his wife. And, um, he allowed alcohol in the home, even though he knew she struggled and she went back to it because she was depressed and he ended up taking all their children and moving to Washington. She never saw him again. And, um, she, she walked away from the Lord. She's so hurt. And so, but this was a woman that was another pillar for me. These, these were youth ministers. And so I look at that and I go, Lord, help me to never wander. 
that, that hymn, tune my heart unto thee. Help me to never wander. I don't want to wander from the Lord. And that's, these people saw the Lord. They saw the mighty works of him. And you think, how could you turn from him? But we can too. So we need to cling to Jesus. And don't ever think that you're so strong or you're so proud. You know, don't be proud in it. Don't boast in your relationship. Never. <laughs> you can fall. Pride goes before destruction, right? Don't, don't do those things. Trust that um, you, you need the Lord. Don't start trusting in yourself. Trust in the Lord. And don't become complacent. And if you see a friend struggling in their relationship, pray for them and encourage them and come alongside. I wish I had been able to do that with my friend. But she had moved to another state for, for years, and then she came back, and I had no idea that she had struggled. Um, and for her, she, I, some of the examples she had given me, she didn't give me a just cause for why she had walked away from the Lord, but there was adultery in the churches. People were um, going out with each other's uh, mar- uh, spouses. And so that, like, really affected her. Um, so sin in the church, sin in the camp. Um, so... These, again, these are our examples. We need to, to listen and pay attention and learn from their mistakes. Uh, verse 13, and this is where we'll end. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So sometimes we think, Oh, this one's different. Like, you don't understand. This temptation's so hard, I can't help but bear. No, nothing is new under the sun. <laughs> he talks about that in Ecclesiastes. Nothing new. Temptation has been around since the garden. Nothing is new. So don't feel like your story is different in the sense of you can't handle this, you can't bear it. You can with the Lord. And so where it says bear it is even to endure. So trust the Lord with that. But you need to go to him. He's got to be your anchor. Because if you're doing it by yourself and you're doing it in your own boasting and your pride, you will fall. But I have this with um, when I thought about falling and even for my two girlfriends that, that fell away from the Lord, they can come back. If you've fallen away from the Lord and you stop trusting him, you can come back. If you have breath in you, come back. You can't once you're past, but while you're here and you have life, you can return to the Lord. And I say that as some of us mamas have children that are deciding, I don't want, I don't know if I want God. They're questioning. Well, I'm praying for that and for all of you mamas that may have kids in here that are struggling and, and wondering, teetering. I don't know if I want God. Pray for them. They can come back. God says he'll leave the 99 for the one and we need to do the same. Not, not that we know, we don't leave our relationship with the Lord, but Go to them. Seek them. Don't stop. Even if they're in, in a homosexual relationship, because I, I know a lot of that's going on too with all the different stories of friends and, and um, acquaintances that are struggling with that. Don't stop seeking them. Don't stop pursuing them. Show them Jesus, and they can come back. Proverbs twenty four sixteen: For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. So if you're in Christ and you haven't walked away, maybe you've fallen because you've, you've fallen into some idolatry, come back. The Lord takes you back. Repent. As those serpents, when they, they struck the people, if they repented, they were healed. And that's for us too. So just um, 
a wrap-up. Seek God first, trust him at his word, learn from others' mistakes, like these examples of old, and be an example for others to learn from. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we just pray that you would um, let this word come alive in us, Lord, that we wouldn't forget, that we would never forget where we came from, and that we would never think that we we earned your grace because it's not it's not um, earnable, Lord. It's undeserved merit that we get from you, Lord. Help us to reach out to those that are lost, that are that are falling away, that um, that need to come back to you. Use us, Lord, for your kingdom. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.